It's Preachers on Preaching, frank conversations between two preachers brought to you by the Christian Century Magazine. And now, your host, Matt Fitzgerald. Many of our guests here at Preachers on Preaching come to us via suggestions from listeners. Most of them do. If you know of a good preacher who would make an interesting guest for this podcast, please be in touch. You can reach me at preachers at christiancentury.org. This week, I speak with the Reverend Julian Deschazier. Julian is the senior minister of the University Church in Hyde Park here in Chicago. He also is an MC, a hip-hop artist recording under the name Jay Quest. In our conversation, Julian and I talk about what it's like to be both an artist and a preacher and the way in which those two identities overlap, complement one another, occasionally contradict each other. I'm a big hip-hop fan and a big fan of Julian's as well, and we geek out a little bit on hip-hop in the conversation. I talk about my favorite MC at one point, Fife Dog from A Tribe Called Quest. We recorded this just a couple of days before he passed away. So uh, let's have this episode of Preachers on Preaching be in memory of Fife Dog, Malik Taylor, rest in peace. Support for this week's episode of Preachers on Preaching comes from Candler School of Theology at Emory University, now offering an online Doctor of Ministry degree for experienced ministers who want to strengthen the connection between theology and practice. You can study with Candler's renowned faculty in one of two tracks, Biblical Interpretation and Proclamation, or Church Leadership and Community Witness. Scholarships are available, and details about all these good things can be found at candler.emory.edu forward slash preaching. So now here he is, one of Chicago's best MCs and one of Chicago's best preachers, Julian DeChazier. So tell me about where you grew up and how you wound up in the pulpit. Were you a church kid? Did you grow up in a family that was... I was a church kid, but in a different way. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and uh, my mother went to church because it was like, I, I mean, she was raised Christian. You know, you, you go to church when you can, right? But it was more valuable as like a social institution. Like she was going through rough patches and things, uh, tough marriage and all of that. And so the church was really a place of like stability. So was your identity as an artist nurtured in the church? Yes. As an MC, it was nurtured. Yeah, no, I mean, there there were uh, youth pastors there, Reverend James King and Elise Barrymore and folks who were really supportive and said, that was the first time I got on stage and did a rap was at a church because the pastor said, hey, you want to come do something? Like, uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, I'm not like, I, I told him uh, and and the intelligence that all teenagers have, right, and our total self-awareness. You know, I'm not a Christian, right? Because <laughs> like, I, I thought I was like 5% nation of Islam because Wu-Tang was, you know, with the gods of the earth and all. Like, that. I was really into that. So you were into that theology? Well, I was deep into to hip-hop culture and didn't even know it was theology, but that worldview, that way of seeing the world, that kind of anger and all of that I had as a teenager, and it was the openness of the, those youth pastors to say, just come here. Just come hang out. Okay, you rap, so come rap one day. Just, you know, don't don't curse it up. Like, keep it clean, but come do what you do. It was Monday nights, and all the girls were there, and all my friends were there. So it was like, all right, I'm going to go. Why not? I have nothing else to do on Monday. So let's just check it out. But it ended up being through that that I actually learned a lot uh, about my faith 
and learned a lot about uh, this God and this Jesus and just became really, really curious. I've always been curious. Yeah. Always been curious. So the curiosity um, guided you. I mean, this is a, this is going to be an inspiration for any youth pastor who's listening to this, mm-hmm. right? To, mm-hmm. to know that that safe and open space that we try to make for kids can deeply, you know, have an impact that we're probably not aware of in the moment. Yeah. And I found, I found the UCC because I was looking for a church. I was touring after school and doing music, and I found a church um, in the south suburbs, Ozzie Smith at Covenant, that he was a professional musician saxophone player yeah right? he was a professional musician but he was a pastor too and that for me was mind-blowing meeting him changed the game because it was like i can do both wait a minute like because i had chosen coming out of undergrad that i'm going to do music that's it and however i can serve the church however i can you know, help build people's faith is going to be through music. It's not going to be institutional. So you were going to be a musician, not that a was, preacher. That was it. When I graduated from Morehouse, I had got accepted into Harvard Divinity School and told them I wasn't coming because I had had a conversation with a buddy who said, Harvard's going to be there. If you fail with the music thing, right, if this doesn't take off, Harvard's, they're not closing. They didn't close, you know, yet. They're not closing anytime soon. So... I mean, they're going to be there, go for this opportunity, never, you know, you, I can come back to this and be asking what if. I didn't want to ask what if, so I went for it in 2005, from, from 05 to, to 2007, was touring and making music and just going for it, like being the starving artist. Were you, you know? playing in little clubs around the yeah, country? Yeah, no, we were playing clubs and just going out and, and doing it, and doing it, and me and, and a couple friends of mine, you know, we just, we didn't know what we were doing. A friend, my, One of my best friends became my manager. We didn't know what was happening. We were just going for it, right? And I, I always felt drawn back into community and building healthy communities. I just thought it was going to be music was the sole way to do it. But once I met Ozzy, I, and it was because I went there and did a show there. Like, it was, I was just coming through, thought I was coming in and out and met him and said, well, no, this music can be connected to institutions and it can be used to help build communities and it's going to look a little different. And for me, I just wanted to find out how. And so I didn't even end up at seminary yet. I just ended up with him. At the church? Yeah. I, I said, can I come and like work with the kids or something? Like I was just come there and I ended up becoming like the team pastor, so to speak working with those kids out in South Holland. And so I'm really thankful for that experience because it's the reason I'm a pastor. He would see me on stage doing music. He never discouraged me. And the reason I left uh, the Baptist church I grew up was because that pastor did discourage me. He didn't see the ability to integrate those two things? I mean, the the quote he said was, when you're done doing doing this music thing and want to do some ministry... Come talk to me. We got something for you here. Which I think he thought he was being like generous. Yeah. And for me, it was like, no, I don't need a job. I need a way to integrate my identity. I need a way to be who I truly am all the time. And if that means parish ministry, then sure, I'm open to it. But I got to be doing music, too. Like, that's that's just such a strong part of who So I it am. wasn't an either or. It's interesting. Restrictive religious culture can really force people to feel like they're happy. I mean, you were smart enough not to succumb to that but can force people to feel like they have to make a choice between their art and their faith um i remember years ago i had a parishioner who grew up amish he was a brilliant uh bass player and 
he his church told him you can play the bass or you can be a Christian, yeah. but you got to choose between those oh, two. No, and his call to be, and you know, I think a legitimate call from God to be a musician over, you know, he was put in a position where he had to feel like that. Okay. That's going to override my faith. And he left the church for like 10 years Yeah, and then found, you know, a, a, a way to be a Christian that, that that innate, you know, that encouraged it. I was, when he came into our church, I was like, great. You want to play? Right. You want to play the bass? Come on. Come here. I'll plug you in. Let's go. Let's do this thing. So um, when you got to U- University of Chicago is where you went to divinity school. Mm-hmm. So you had your voice as an MC. You had your voice in hip hop before you found your voice as a preacher, I'm assuming. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I had to learn how to preach. I think I had some some skills in me from just some the performative elements of it, but... I mean, like putting a sermon together, it would take me like eight weeks to write a sermon like for for a year, maybe like those sermons that I was writing that first year at Divinity School, I would have to tell my wife or girlfriend at the time, you know, like I, I, I can't talk to you until this is done. And like we wouldn't talk for like a month, you know, <laughs> like what was I doing? I loved being at, at the Div School and that experience and the ways in which they allowed me to bring my identity in too and even encouraged it where I was really saying like, okay, I'm gonna take a pause from music, do this, and then I'll put them together later. Like they, there were folks there who were saying, no, this, bring it. What, what, of, what of hip hop can teach theology, you know? What did you learn as an MC that influenced your preaching? Like how did, I mean, I would imagine sort of facility with a microphone, the ability to command a crowd. The, sure. Those things. Those uh, things I had pretty much uh, down by the time I got to the div school. I was, I was very comfortable in front of people and very comfortable being myself, which I think is a thing, you know, preachers and finding our voices and being comfortable in that voice can sometimes be the difference between a sermon you want to hear again and a sermon you're like, okay, we, you know. Did you feel like a like you do you feel like you have a persona um as an artist and a persona as a preacher? No, I think they're I hope they're the same in terms of being honest, authentic, being willing to say I don't know, not apologizing for the things I do well, not apologizing for the things I don't do well and I think I try to put all of those things into being an MC as well. The songs that I write, the songs that I'll never try to write, even though like if I wrote that kind of song, it would get on the radio, you know, but just saying like, no, this is who I am and there's an audience for it. And uh, that audience will be fed by this music and I'll continue to make music and try to grow that audience. What is that kind of song? You mean if you were glorifying Oh, like, I mean, if I was to make, like, a drill music song, which is a a genre of music and really, like, in the streets, in the hood in Chicago on the south side and west side. um, So as nationally sort of, like, the spotlight in hip-hop has fallen on Chicago through drill artists, you could could sort of dive into that, sell yourself out. if If I said, okay, I need, you know, I have X amount of fans, followers, likes, whatever, but I, I need to double that. The the smartest way is to go in and to make a song that sounds like the other songs that are being made right now. It just doesn't fit me. It just doesn't fit me. And I think as a preacher, I experienced that same thing where it's like, okay, coming out of the black tradition, 
you need three points, you need to hoop, you need to, and it just never fit me. It was, and being okay with what didn't fit and being willing to try it sometimes to know that it didn't fit and being willing to pursue a new kind of way, a new kind of cadence, all of that came, I think, out of my experience as a musician from 11, 12 years old of trying voices and saying, no, that doesn't work. So as a as an MC, are you improvisatory? Are you do you freestyle or do you write your? Yeah, sometimes I I try it. I try it. The the folks I rap with, my partner Breeze Easy, who raps with me, he is like gifted at that, and I just like I'm I'm just watching him. So I like write the first four bars or something, and then we'll freestyle to go rest. from there yeah just yeah. go from there so i i really like to have some sort of landing some sort of takeoff foundation in anything that i do really that's that's interesting that you asked that i'd never really thought about that before so but that's a, that's a that's a through line for you in the pulpit do you are you a manuscript preacher do you have i am a manuscript preacher I, and i will even like write the jokes like you know i'm I've, i'm very very if you were to look at a sermon manuscript, you'd be like, why would he write this? He would just know to do this. And for me, it's about if anything happened to me, somebody else would still be able to just go up and read it, mm-hmm. right? And say, okay, now we got to go to the hospital, but but we got through this Sunday. Um, and, and being able to spend time in writing, whether it's songs or sermons, being able to know that there's certain stuff like you just can't say. Not that you can't say, but that this sermon... We don't need to say it all. Yeah, yeah. And so having it written down keeps you from trying to say it all. Yeah, too. no, being being focused, because I think my tendency, my natural tendency, it would be just to get up and just sort of wax, whether eloquent or not. I don't, I'm not sure, but just to talk. And when stuff came up, it was the spirit, right? So you just said it. And that led for me in my first few sermons following that instinct to some very sloppy sermons. And so for me, it was about saying, okay, let's let's tighten it up a little bit and let's really figure out what we want to say for this one moment, knowing that there'll be another moment after this. It's interesting. One of the things I've thought about is, as a, I'm a manuscript preacher too, is, and I sometimes I wish I weren't, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I see people who can preach so eloquently um, having internalized what they want to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, I mean, and it's beautiful. And sometimes I feel like, I don't know, like I'm restricting something, you know, some kind of voice that's inside of myself that is not written down in 14-point courier font on my piece of paper. Exactly. But at the same time, I've, I've found, and I've just tried to get comfortable with this, I don't know what I think until I write it down. You're a writer. Yeah. Right, and yeah. I'm a writer. So, and so that, that, for me, I need to write it out and I need to look at it even from like a structural critical kind of point. I need to like look at how long this paragraph is to see like, this is, oh no, right? Like this shouldn't be a half a page. This is crazy. Right, right. right. This goes <laughs> on way too long. Yeah, and then I just go through and see like, oh yeah, these are obviously three sentences that don't need to be here. But for me, the, the exercise of writing it out, I'm, you know, if I had more time in the week, I would write it out, then start remembering it all. When you said earlier that you write the jokes, um, do you know it's going to be funny when you write it down? When I go out somewhere else, no. Not at all. Because you don't know how the, like what their sense of humor is. Yeah, not at all. And I don't write, the, as I'm thinking about it, I don't write jokes or anything when I'm out. But with the congregation, I have we have such a relationship that I know if I say a certain thing in a certain way, it'll, it might call back to something else. And I mean, 
uh, I've heard other people on this podcast talk about the influence of stand-up, and that's certainly influenced me as well. Um, it, there's a way in which, though, telling jokes in the congregation, it's such an easy audience. You know? People, yeah. People, know, they they, they want to... <laughs> I've thought before, boy, I'm pretty funny. I could take this on the road. Oh, yeah, no, this is, there's no difference between stand-up and preaching, right? Because I obviously know how to make people laugh. People who come and love you, right? But then you sit in the pew and you hear somebody else tell a joke. This is what happens to me, and I think, that's pretty corny. Everybody's laughing so hard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you've said, Julian, that you aim to, or maybe you can't even not, have your identities as an artist and as a preacher integrated, have them be both a part of who you are. And I was thinking about other people I know. I don't know anybody else who's an MC and a preacher, but I know other people who are in the arts and preach, what, fabric artists, poets, people who write theater. Um, and some of them have an easy time doing that, and others, for various reasons, really feel this need to like separate out those two identities. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins, who you know was the successful poet, then went through a, I don't know if it was a conversion experience, but a sense of call, wound up becoming a Jesuit, and stopped writing poetry for seven years. He gave it up for Lent one year, and then said his faith was sharper if he wasn't trying to be an artist. Like, he could only devote himself to one thing, and he yeah. wanted to devote himself to God. Which, you know, I, I, re- I remember hearing that and reading that and feeling like it was tragic, um, yeah. in a way. So it's refreshing to hear both in your music, like in the actual content and the art and the beauty of your music, but also just in this conversation, that you don't feel the need to try to pull those apart. Yeah, but I, I can understand that wrestling because I've, I've done the wrestling. And I don't know whether the decision to separate the two or to integrate them fully in the way in which there appears to be no border between the two is healthy or not. I honestly don't. I think time will will teach the poet and the Jay Quest, you know, whether that's right or not. I can really, really empathize, though, with this, the ways in which uh, an artist in an industry must always do this continuous striving, this continuous pushing. Writers have to write. And, and, and the more that they write and the more serious they are as a writer, they have to have it read by bigger and, quote, more important audiences. And so it creates a different kind of, of urge inside of the creator, which I think sometimes can run counter to a life of faith, which wants to be relaxed and easy and non-anxious and all the stuff Jesus says, right? So the sort of like ego and even narcissism of the artist, right? Where you're going to create this thing and you want to be seen and you want it to be seen versus what we ought to be aspiring toward anyhow as Christians, right? Right. Well, you create art for public consumption. Otherwise, you're not an artist. It's just a hobby, right? You just know how to do this thing, and you do it. But when you say you're an artist, you're doing it for public consumption. And that's, that's different. We're not, well, we are believers for public, you know, for, for a public as well, but it's a little different. Okay? Well, I think as a preacher, to get up there, if your primary thing was, and we both know preachers who do this, but if your primary thing was, I'm here to be seen, Right. right. This is about something I've made. 
Yeah. Um, now right. bow yeah. down before it or right. appreciate it. Yeah. Um, that's that's bad. I've seen plenty of that. That's bad that's preaching. Terrible. Right. That's yeah. terrible preaching. And so those kind of urges have to be checked. Do you find more resistance in hip hop or more resist more resistance in the church to being a a preacher and an MC at the same that's, time? That's interesting. I'm starting to find the answer to that because when the Chicago Reader cover happened a couple weeks ago, the headline said J-Quest makes room for rap in the house of the Lord, which like the hip hop community hears and is like, yuck, right? Like, what are you talking about? It just sounds so corny, right? Yeah. Like, no. But then they listen to the music and they're like, oh, no, okay, this, this, this is cool. This is cool. The suggestion of a relationship between faith and hip-hop in that kind of way can throw people off. Can throw people in hip-hop off? I think both. Let me stick with the hip-hop side of it first. Um, is that because, has there been sort of historically a kind of in the in the black community a sort of like Saturday night and Sunday morning thing going on with oh, rap music? For sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and the ways in which uh, sacred and secular have been sort of protected and and the secular has been given liminal space and, and hip hop has fallen within that space as because it came from the streets. It wasn't born in the church. It was born in opposition in some ways to a status quo that the church can help to legitimate. So, so unlike a lot of African-American popular music that had its roots in the church, right? And right. Like, like Sam Cooke, right? Who like takes church music and then makes it secular. Right. You're sort of doing the reverse, right? You're taking music that began in the street and you're, I don't, well, it's interesting because in listening to your music, what I thought before I listened to it, just hearing like Christian hip hop, I thought it was going to be, hearing that that, that phrase, right. I, I, I thought it was going to be heavy, not heavy handed, um, but well, most the, of it is heavy handed. Yeah, and your music is. I guess. I guess I would want to say your lyrics, at least, are, are implicitly Christian more than they are explicitly Christian. Right? Does that seem? Is that intentional? No, I think it's intentional for me to work against or to be different from the the multitude of voices inside of Christian hip hop or gospel music, what have you, that are just really heavy handed and therefore don't provide easy entry points for folks who don't know the language already, who aren't familiar already. And I was just finding that it was just a lot of kids on the South side in particular that were like, Lecrae, I, I have no idea who he is, whatever, you know, or, or Kirk Frank. Okay. Yeah, no, I heard that one song once, but I don't know anything about that. And that's not a part of how I understand myself or what I even think about his music that for me, I thought that was really unfortunate that, it was so, so heavy-handed that people weren't able to really get in. It could be silencing to people um, because your lyrics are, they acknowledge the reality of God, like right. almost every track that I listen exactly. to, but they're not like like pressuring people to have an encounter that they're not already having. It's more like the reality of God is a given, right, yeah. in the sketch that you're drawing and the story that you're telling, and now what, right. rather than... A, a heavy-handed evangelistic, um, right? Right. It's 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 fascinating. The um, do you feel room to integrate or to bring into your music the hip hop that you grew up on that you loved? I mean, because I heard in in um, in this latest record, you can hear 
Nas and Gangstar. I mean, you can literally hear Gangstar, right? There's right. that nice sample on the on the remix of of, of uh, I, woke I woke up. up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can hear Nas, Gangstar. You can. There's one of the people that you're rapping with. I forget. I don't think it's your voice, but one of the guys says it's a great line. Says, uh, "I'm an apostle with the posture of a postanus." Yeah, Armand, wake up. He is like that. <laughs> what that line? I was like, whoa. Yes, that's it. That's it right there. And that, to me, that described, even though it's not your line or your voice, that described the whole project to me at some level. Very um, much so. Right? I'm a Christian with the posture of an MC, and not imposturing, right? Yeah. But that's who I am. Right. Not posing, right. posturing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, uh, and, and just saying that this is the way and the language in which I'm going to tell this story. And just because of the form, of hip hop not needing to be heavy handed at all just be just be relatable and accessible and that people will really want to grow and to know your music even more and so for me what was special about the lemonade project the latest one was the ways in which i was able to really take some time and to begin to tell my story and to share my truth my truth not capital t truth but share truths of mine with with whoever was listening and then to say, all right, this is, this is the world I see. If, if you see it like this, I'm your, I'm your MC, right? <laughs> like I'm, I'm your guy. And if you don't, let's, you know, let's, I'm still accessible. I'm still somebody who, where you can just enjoy the song and enjoy the music because it's refreshing hip hop. That sounds like sounds in form, like common and most deaf and tribe and all that other stuff that I grew up on and fell in love with. And, was just like, yes, this music must be carried on, you know, and Common to me is like my favoriteest person, MC, you know, character in hip hop ever. So being able to find a way to to carry that torch unofficially for now, but then hopefully officially, like he'll hear it and be like, yeah, this is this is who I want carrying what Common was doing in 93, 94. No, I used to love her, all of that kind of stuff. Does he know that? I don't know if he knows that. I say it out loud whenever I can to try to get that message through, right? And and hope one day he will know it. I, I believe it. Who who else did you grow up with uh, that influenced you musically? Like, what other hip hop people? Outkast. Their first couple of albums sort of changed my world and my life. Uh, Tribe Called Quest again, Quali, Most Def. Those those MCs and just the ways in which they were like dope, technically dope, but when you listened, you'd be like, wow, this is, like, that didn't just degrade anybody. Like, that was just good music, you know, that didn't have to hurt. Nobody got hurt in the making of this song. Did you feel yourself resistant to degrading hip-hop when you were a kid, even? Like, was there something no, about I liked it? it. You I liked, liked it. it. Yeah. My first CD that I remembered all the words to was Snoop Dogg Doggy Style. You know, <laughs> my mother heard that, took it, threw it out the window. I tell that story on the song Liquor and Pills. I liked all of that. I, I I wanted to strive for all of that until I had family members who went to prison or, you know, would just say, no, absolutely not. This is you like you read good. Like, you know, like you read well. And so you're going to school. You're going to school and you're going to do things differently. And for me, I just interpreted everything as an opportunity to do things differently. I got that permission from the gangsters who were in my family and went through all the trouble and went through all the strife and were saying, no, you're not doing that. You're so gonna, don't pretend to be this. Yeah, don't even pretend to be this because this people who pretend get found out and bad things happen. 
So it was like, just be who you are. Like, be the nerd, you know, and and do your thing. And we we will protect you. And they did. They protected me and gave me space to, I would get picked on in school and stuff. But I, I always felt like it was okay to be me. You were able to find your voice. And one of the great things as a fan of hip-hop that I've noticed over the years is there's room, right? I mean... One of my favorite MCs is um, Fife from Tribe. Oh, and yeah. Fife Foot Assassin. What a unique person. And I, I watched that uh, documentary that Michael Rappaport made about those guys recently. And, you know, I felt like when I saw him on screen and heard, and, and he is such a raw, authentic person. Um, it was interesting, but I also felt just from listening to his music, and he's got a lot of braggadocio in his lyrics, but nevertheless, I felt like I know that I already knew this guy. I already That's knew right. who he was. That's right. And, and he's like nobody else, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, it's those MCs, even early Kanye, you know, 2004 Kanye, where you listen to College Dropout and were, was like, I know Kanye now. Like, okay, this, this is cool. I'm going to follow Kanye through the rest of his career because I know him now. I don't know the new Kanye, but, you know, uh, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, for me, I know I knew him and really related to him. I listened to One Day of the Law Makes Sense from Common and was like, all right, I know who Common is. I got it. I'm ready. Do you think that there's an analog to be drawn in terms of a congregation learning who their preacher is to the way that those guys represent themselves as artists and and, and, are, and share if not their vulnerability, a window onto their identity? I think so. Yeah. I think being able to trust somebody's voice requires, just like family, being able to know them and hear some stories and understand some things that they've been through. Um, to be able to move through that, that sort of false myth of perfection or preacher from on high, but also to be a little more than someone who just got up from the pews and said, hey, I got a sermon. I'll do it now, you know. But to be sort of trusted as the resident theologian, to be trusted as the person to spend time hearing on their behalf, and they can trust my hearing because they know me a little bit better as opposed to they like how I preach. No, they, they know me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting in the same way that, right, that you knew and trusted and wanted to hear more from the young Kanye, right? Right. I assume that your preaching won't follow the same trajectory. That <laughs> <laughs> we don't, the, the, the jury's still out on, the, on, on, on Kanye West right now. I'm, I'm not giving up on our brother here. <laughs> Are there any, uh, any young MCs that you really enjoy these days? Anybody? Yeah, I love how Chance from Chicago is really finding ways to integrate his faith and his questions and his vices and all just like I feel like when I'm listening to Chance the rapper rap I feel like I'm hearing authenticity yeah and that that I really appreciate that and I don't hear a lot of that I don't hear a lot of that even even like a Drake I can appreciate for some of his b-side stuff or underground stuff that is really authentic about when he was you know, struggling in music and really kind of questioning and, and trying to find support and working through relationships and all that. Like, when he goes into that mode, I'm like, yeah, I like I love this Drake. Hotline bling Drake. I'm not, you know, I don't need that. The Drake. materialism and the commercialism and that sort of celebration yeah, I, of success for the sake of success. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's something that I'm, I'm not, 
I'm not as much of a fan of. I can appreciate it for its escapism, for its ways on, on Friday after a long week that folks can just go and party and forget about it and have some music that isn't connected to reality. I do appreciate that, so I, I try to never be judgmental of the artists who kind of make club music. But to also recognize that there's music that can speak to a particular reality, too. Mm. The um, In listening to your sermons, you're you're very well versed theologically and uh, you ground a lot of your own preaching in the work of great theologians and cite them. Um, so like, you know, Langdon Gilkey, Paul Tillich, oh, yeah. these names are popping up. Oh yeah. Uh, you ever think about including one of them in a song? Langdon Gilkey. See, now that's interesting, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, Cause I'll quote, I did a sermon called pour out a little liquor, you know, really <laughs> about and, and brought Tupac into the sermon. Yeah. Yeah. And connected that theologically, and I do that with hip hop all the time. Having it go that way, right? From hip hop into that the way. But no, I've never quoted Paul Tillich, you know, or Howard Thurman in a, in a lyric. I'm just, I just want people to listen to music and be able to feel like they're having having a very unique experience in that moment. Mm. And it's so it's not teaching time for me necessarily. Okay. It's like I don't see I don't necessarily see sermons as teaching time. It's an opportunity, another entry point into the faith, which is hopefully gonna be as important as the seven or eight other entry points that are part of the service. But yeah, so so I mean that kind of didactic catechism, you know, you need to know this. Yeah. That which is really a part of Christian hip hop, which is really a part of gospel music, just isn't a part of mine. And that's been to my detriment. I mean, I, I can say pretty pretty plainly that a lot of gospel music in the industry and a lot of folks, even in Chicago, will say, like, oh, he doesn't do gospel music. He's not us. He's not one of us. So I won't get their full support because it's like I'm not teaching doctrine to folks through song and that's just a weird way for me to think about music but at the same time you're not a drill musician you're not yeah you know which is interesting i'm seeing an analog here between that and between the reality of life in the progressive church too where we are not secular Right. But we're not religious the way people walk around oh, no, thinking no. one exactly. is religious necessarily, right? Yeah. No, that's, I have to think, of, that's fascinating. Yeah. So you're sort of, uh, you're in a no man's land, both, you know what I mean? In both, both worlds. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you try to be, if you try to move out of that space, well, no, let, let me say this a different way. Um, there's a cost to that, too, because... When I talk to young organizers who are in the streets and don't really trust the church, still don't really have a real trust and a relationship with the church in their movements, and are really saying, we can do this without y'all, which is different from civil rights era where like they had their meetings in the church, you know, and they, those were really connected. Um, living in this world and sort of in between spaces means that we can't just settle and say, we're just going to talk to ourselves. We're just going to preach to the choir. I think what they are saying to us and what they say to me all the time is like, the best way you can be helpful is not just by talking to your congregation about why we need X, Y, and Z, but go talk to some folks. Use your microphone. Use what you have of your privilege and your access to media 
to go talk to people who don't listen to that stuff normally and to go share it with them. And so being in a progressive space and knowing that everybody around me is sometimes staunchly conservative, especially in music, I know I, I kind of use it as a challenge to say, okay, we got to bring up justice. We got to talk about this. There, the um, is coming on on Palm Sunday on Fox, the Passion live show, and I wrote the discussion guide for it. Now, the Passion has Trish Yearwood, Michael W. Smith, Tyler Perry. I mean, this is sort of mainline uh, kind of theology that. I found it for me as a challenge to say, like, all right, how am I going to work justice in here? How'd you get it in? Uh, you got to see it now. Oh, you can check wait. it out and see it. But it was because the show is in New Orleans. And so for me, it was asking questions, not just about them telling the story about Jesus, but like this, this is happening in New Orleans, this city, which has experienced great suffering and pain. And, and how do you experience suffering and pain? Do you see others that experience suffering and pain? You know, yeah. trying to move, sneak the spinach under the ice cream, so to speak. Well, you, I, you, I read an essay that you wrote that I really liked comparing the plight of a contemporary pastor to the work of a grade school custodian. Yes. Uh, and what you said in that essay was when you were a kid in grade school, you saw the custodian when somebody threw up. You know, and that that was an admirable job. You know, you had to have a you needed it. You had to have a heart for for you know a, what did you say in the essay? A, a, a nose for puke and a and a heart for service. But you said you know as a pastor, what you find yourself is called sometimes to do a funeral, but not called in to do all you know a tragic funeral, but not called in to 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 be there in the thousands of ways that could have prevented that funeral that's right. right yeah they never think about us before that and it's because of the ways that we postured ourselves i think regardless of theology just church as an institution inside of communities has become more insular and has said well we love you if you come to us <laughs> or they've said the opposite like we're gonna go to everybody and you better like us you mm. know but the ways of seeking relationship and how do we posture ourselves in a way in which people seek relationship, in which they can call us and say, yeah, my family's going through some stuff right now. I know I'm not a member at your church, but like, can you come over for an hour and just kind of help us? We're in the weeds right now. Can you help us? And when you do that, and I, I don't do that nearly enough, but what, but when we do that, it pays remarkable dividends. I remember um, I read a book before I started not this pastorate, but the one that I was in prior to that, uh, prior to this one. And I read this book by Kenan Callahan, and it was like, the f and he's an evangelical church guidance writer, and you know, not really in my world. Somebody gave it to me, though, and it, and, it, and it was very helpful. And he said, like, here's the six things you ought to do in your first week at a new church. And they were all go out. Go out, and I was in, this was in a small town, and, he, and, and in the book he said, go out and introduce yourself to the chief of police. So I did it, um, and it was strange. I remember going there and sitting down with the guy and his assistant, and they were both kind of looking at me like, why are you here, you know, like what's going on? And I didn't really know why I was there. I was like, well, I'm here because this book told me to, you know, but I, but I talked to him about policing a little bit and just kind of listened to him, and clearly he didn't have a lot of people to listen to him expound about his work, and then I left like 35 minutes later. Two years after that, I get a phone call from him, a kid in the town had uh, died by suicide, and he needed to go tell the parents. And he called me and asked me to come with him. 
which was a heartbreaking situation. But I think I was a help to him and to the family. And it was this method of being a pastor that wasn't really to do, didn't have a whole lot to do with my congregation. You know what I mean? And, and it was only because I had gone out there and tried to foster that relationship. The relational work that happens inside of sermons, inside of uh, pastoring is, is often lost in the desire to, in, in the desire to grow, but also in looking at what overwhelms us about this place. Yeah, and and about this ministry, and and it quickly becomes, uh, as Langdon Gilkey would say, the inward turn of the self. You yeah. know, it quickly becomes that the church we, can be selfish, just oh, like easily, yeah, easily, and focused on its own survival. So I want to ask you as we wrap up about a particular moment in one of your songs that was sure. my favorite. Know the curse that we trying to stop. I don't even know. I don't even know which one is worse. What? Ignorance and not being able to get rid of Man. it. This test feel impossible like the cinnamon. Mm. Everything here is legitimate till you get caught and then you just lie and hope you get off. Yeah. I know that I'm losing my flow. There's plenty of rappers. Sometimes I just want to talk and know that I'm with somebody who's listening. Appreciate y'all. Ride around the city, make that soundtrack. No self-pity, you fall down. Life ain't fair, but you bounce back. Airtime, good music need airtime. And that's on us, go share this. Man, somebody gon' care, cause everybody need air. Coming up for air. you mean by that that you know you're losing your flow there's plenty of people who rap you just want somebody who will listen you just want to talk yeah what what, what were you getting at i i think i don't know if there's a more literal lyric on the album like sometimes in the midst of creating art and wanting to establish a career and bj quest just remembering that i'm julian and remembering that there's a lot going on and it can be suffocating not just for me like i'm not boohoo for me you know but like for anybody listening we have that same experience of just wanting to come up for air and wanting to be ourselves and wanting to just breathe for a moment and have an audience for that so not just like a meditative kind of breathing but like a okay these are what our inner circle of friends are right this is what our family is right that space that that is sacred space holy space for us to be who we are and so that song is is my way of trying to create that through the record and not just tell you that I'm doing it, but like you do it too. Go ahead. You you try to do it too. That moment of coming up for air. And, yeah. and what you just said that I think is really beautiful is coming up for air into relationship, right? Into That's right. community. Carl Barth says somewhere that God speaks to us not just to be heard, but so that we'll change. That's right. And that the reason he says we speak to each other is the same thing. Like, I want to be heard by you. You want to be heard by me. But I'm speaking That's right. to have an effect, right? That's right. I think I'm, I'm probably working against my own personal anxiety of just trying to make music to make it or whatever, or to fall within this lane, even if it's conscious rap or whatever, like to just be, become another common or something, right? But to really say like, no, I think I can make some pretty decent songs, but I, they need to be my songs. 
they need to be my records and and I need to be able to freely explore what it means to be Christian and I need to be able to safely do that. I know I'm a pastor, I know I'm a Christian rapper and and I get it, but we're still exploring here. We're still exploring. And so that I mean the entire album is just like a journey through my exploration through some stories and some narratives that have that have really stuck with me. So trying to tap into a reality that's not just mine for the sake of sharing, like you need to hear my story, but parts of my narrative that I feel like resonate with other people's narratives. Those are the things that those I want to share. Those points of contact. And those are, and and I think, you know, full circle, that's what preaching is about for me as well. Creating I'm going to tell you about my story only if I feel like there's some sort of point of contact that resonates with you as well and creates an entry point for us to have a deeper conversation. It's, it's not story time. And that is very, that I think is preaching, some of the best preaching I've ever heard is when it can do that. And that's distinct from a lot of art, right? Which is more about, um, here, again, here I am, here's what I've created. Yeah. And you do with it what you will, but right. it's really it's really me and, and my thing. Here's my the painting, my beautiful right? thing I've made. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the the poet Christian Wyman says, um, we use the personal in order to illuminate the universal. Yes. And that's what I hear you saying. That's, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Um I'm taking that. <laughs> so who says this uh, every good idea i ever had I, I forgot where i read it that's right that's right <laughs> julian thank you so much for this time this has thank been a great you. conversation thank you yeah many thanks for listening to the christian centuries preachers on preaching podcast this episode was edited by neil ellingson with technical assistance from kyle hoker and steve thorngate